have a really wonderful <laughs> guest with me, a really special guest with me today. And uh, he's a guy I've known for uh, several decades. He, uh, he's been a, a fellow police officer for uh, 40 some years, he'll tell you about that. But he's been a police chief in, a, in multiple agencies for quite a while. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some of the issues that police chiefs face today. Chief J.W. Harris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Betsy. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Chief, let's get right into it. Um, you know, you're a uh, right now you're a police chief in a in a kind of a mid-sized city in South Dakota, but you've been a chief in Wyoming, a chief in Illinois. Uh, you started your career with in uh, Tucson, Arizona, uh, during the heyday of of uh, crime in the '70s, and yet here we are, all these years and decades later. <laughs> And violent crime in the United States is up 25% from last year. What do you think is going on? I think there's a number of reasons that it's, it's uh, increasing. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the lack of prosecution. And just one example is we have a, a situation where COVID had some impact on it. Uh, the prosecutors would actually release the people from jail, we'd book them and they would leave before they were even in, incarcerated. And they would keep have the recidivism, it was continual. It was just revolving doors. The same people would come back into the system, you know, every week or two. And so it increased our crime rate. Uh, we're not as bad as some of the other cities. And then the other thing is, is that the crimes that are committed, even some of the violent crimes in some of the big cities are not prosecuted properly the same recidivism. If you look at some of the rap sheets of some of the, the uh, uh, really heavy duty offenders, they've got like 15 or 20 major violent crimes on those rap sheets. So the prosecution becomes a problem as well. And that's a really good point that, you know, police can arrest all the bad guys they want, but if there's not someone to prosecute them properly, then it, it, it's like the arrest didn't happen, right? That's correct. And you know, a lot of times too, we see on the violent crimes just for a mere convenience is those things are plea bargained down to misdemeanors or minor felonies so that it doesn't show what really occurred on those events. And it's a convenience for the system rather than a convenience for the public. And yet in the days of the defund the police movement or the anti-police movement, we're seeing areas like uh, Los Angeles County, Cook County, Illinois, uh, which is Chicago, um, New, New York City, and that area. We're seeing progressive prosecutors come in, and they're talking about things like uh, bail reform, which means no cash bail. Um, and they're talking about you know giving people ankle bracelets, letting them out onto the streets. And and that you know and they and they say it in a way that they think is going to hurt law enforcement. That doesn't really hurt law enforcement, does it? Who does it hurt? No, actually, what it does is it it hurts the public. I mean, that's who who really are the victims here is the people that we're out there trying to protect and serve for. You know, we we're not out here doing it for ourselves. We're out here trying to provide a service to our communities that we serve, and those are the ones that are really being shortchanged. The other thing that's happened too with some of this defunding and, and not so much where I'm from right now, but in some of the other cities, it makes it real difficult uh, to hire people. We're losing officers at a high rate and uh, they're, they're not being able to be replaced. 
And that's because people don't want to enter this profession where they're vilified all the time. You have been a big city chief and you've been a small town chief. And are you now as a smaller city chief, are you having any problem recruiting police officers to come to Yankton, South Dakota and be the police? Yeah, actually we are, you know, we just are going through a hiring process. I've got two vacancies and we've been through two processes already and we're still short of filling our vacancies. And it's not so much that, uh, you know, we can't get people to apply us. We can't get the quality of people, the ones that we really want to have come in. And we're trying to do everything we can in our recruiting and, and retention of people, but it's becoming much more difficult with the way the uh, environment is right now. The other thing is, is in, in my city, it's, we really are supported by our community. So it's even, it's gotta be more difficult. And I know that my daughter works in a, a larger community in Arizona and they are absolutely having uh, serious, serious problems in getting qualified applicants into the pool. And they're losing people at a much more rapid rate than they're being able to hire. It's really unfortunate because one of the things that most of us, and I'd say 99% of the people that do inner policing enter it for the right reasons. They wanna make a difference. They wanna help people. They wanna make a positive change in their community. And when you're trying to do that in the community that you're trying to help is not supporting you, you say, why do I bother? And that's what part of the problem is. I think that is a huge issue for us, you know, in, in law enforcement. Now, Chief, you know, one of the things that you and I both did when we became young, when we were young police officers, is we both put our hand up and we swore an oath to the United States Constitution. And, and I don't know that people really understand how much police officers revere the Constitution. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. One of the things that, like you said, is when we started, and even today, when every officer starts, they take an oath, uh, an honest-to-God oath from a judge uh, swearing to protect, you know, enforce the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of the state they work in, and the city and county laws that are out there that they are going to be be actually in charge with enforcing. And one of the things that uh, I picked up when I was in Wyoming as a police chief is whenever there was a graduation or whenever there was promotion and the, the officers were taking the uh, new oath of, or swearing to uphold the constitution, every commissioned officer in the audience, and I just did that in South Dakota, every commissioned officer in that audience reaffirmed their commitment to those, that oath. And I think that's important because it reminds us of why we're there and what we do. So it's extremely important. It goes on in every, every agency in Wyoming, and we're trying to implement it into South Dakota now. That's a, that's a fantastic idea because that, that's, what we, that's why we get into this job. We want to catch the bad guys. We want to help people. And we want to uphold the laws of this country, our state, our community. And that's what people are paying us to do, isn't it? Is to, is to help keep them safe. Absolutely, that's, that's what the whole job is about. And we take an oath as officers to do that. And I can tell you from a, a standpoint of doing this for 47 years now, is that in being a chief in five states and being a chief of police almost 27 years, the one thing that really sets home is we do not want the uh, rogue cop in our departments. We don't want anything to do with them. And when we find them, we do everything we can to get rid of them as well. 
So it's not something like, and, but the problem is, is the public is terribly stereotyping. If there's one bad apple out there, we all get stereotyped. They ask us not to do that, but yet they do that to us. And as a police chief who's had to discipline people, who has had to fire people, you know, here you are, five different states, multiple agencies, you know, you, do you have a problem weeding out those few bad apples that you run into? Absolutely not, because and in most of the people that I work with have no problem in making sure that those people don't, because they reflect on every single one of us. They tarnish our badge, so we don't want them to be part of what we are, because we actually are out there proud of what we do. And so we get rid of those people as quickly as we can and make sure that they're not the, the norm for our, our uh, profession. Now, Chief, American law enforcement, we're very different than, than a lot of other countries in the world where our policing system is extremely decentralized. It's the, the, the standards are statewide and then even region-wide, sometimes city and county-wide. Can you explain to people why decentralized policing is so effective in the way that we do it in the United States? Yeah, the, the biggest thing is, is that, you know, I think that there's a, there's a core that, like you said, we, we swear to defend the Constitution of the United States. And that Constitution is basically the bedrock of what we do. But beyond that, then you've got the other laws and the other community mores and laws and stuff that are out there. And we actually support those. And that's what we want to do. You know, the community expects us to provide service to them. And that's what we do. And that's why there's jurisdictional uh, differences in every agency that you go to. And now, I think it's extremely important. Right. Now, Chief Harris, you have been a chief um, near the southern border. And, uh, and I know that that was an issue when you were a chief here on the southern border. Um, and things are getting, you know, we're, you hear the word crisis, right? We've got a, a, a critical issue uh, on the southern border of the United States. How does that affect local law enforcement? Oh, it has a huge impact and people don't understand the, the impact it has on us. One of the things that uh, having been a chief on the southern border of a mid-size agency, we thought it was a, a crisis back then when things were actually fairly decent as compared to today. Today, it's tenfold the, the problem. And one of the things that happens is when these people come across the border, one of the things that's never reported is how many deaths occur in the desert out there where uh, people are just left to die. I mean, I think that the number I saw when I was chiefing in, in Southern Arizona was it was over 350 or 400 people every summer die in that desert that just are abandoned out there. And that's a problem because then people have to go deal with those and then all the other ramifications. And then it has impact on everything we do. Uh, our hospitals, every part of our society gets impacted by having people coming into the, the country illegally uh, because it, and then there are some major thefts that occur. I mean, people are coming in, they have nothing. And they aren't maybe bad people, but they've got to survive and they'll do anything they can to survive while they get to where they're going. Exactly. Now, in addition to being a police chief, you're also a, a police trainer. And uh, we're hearing a lot in the media about police training, you know, because of the Jerry Chauvin trial and, and all of that. Police training has really evolved in the four decades that you've been in law enforcement, hasn't it? 
Oh my gosh, you know, our training today is some of the best that there is. And in fact, we continually look at ways to improve ourselves and the ways to help our officers provide a grid service to the community that they provide service for. The thing is, is we don't train to be just the best cops we can be. We train to be the best cops we can be to provide the service to our communities. And that's why it's so important that we stay current with what's going on with current trends and everything else. Uh, today, I think it's probably 10 times better than the day I started. You know, one of the things that happened when I started, they threw me a set of car keys after I got out of the academy and said, all right, uh, go to work. You know, you got a senior officer out there if you have trouble. Now we have a whole series of things where we make sure that they're trained on how to do things, the field training program, the academy, and then also a, a long term uh, uh, where you actually have them on probation till they finish up. So it, it really does look to make a, a much better system of training. And Chief, when we talk about training, you know, we have to talk about use of force training. And uh, when we're talking, let's talk about deadly force uh, training, deadly force situations for a minute. Why can't police officers just shoot a guy in the hand or shoot a guy in the leg or fire a warning shot into the air? Can you explain to people why we don't do that? Yeah, one of the things is, is if you do those things, you put the public at risk, you know, when you're trying to do that. And the other thing is, is that you are not in, in a real stressful environment. You are not that accurate. So we shoot to the center of mass. We don't shoot to kill people. We shoot to have them stop the threat. And that's all they're trying to do is to stop the threat that they're, they're engaged in. And the only way you can do that, and having, having been in a shooting myself, I can tell you, I'm probably one of the better shots that just, you know, on paper, but when you're in a stressful situation, it's very difficult. Your, your motor, your fine motor skills go away because you're stressed to the max when you get involved in one of those situations. So you want to make sure that you're as effective as you possibly can be. And that's why we tell people to go for the center of the mass. And I think that people really need to recognize and understand that we're not robots. We're not, you know, when we're in, if we're using deadly force, we're in fear for our life, correct? Absolutely. And that's, we're in fear for our life or the life of a citizen that may, may end up being killed. And the other thing that uh, was interesting that I did, Betsy, when I was in the, the Midwestern city in a fairly big city, a uh, capital city police department, is the press was giving us lots of grief, asking some of the questions you just asked. And we had a shooting simulator and I invited all those uh, press people down and we put them through that stressful environment on a simulated situation. And every one of them shot people that shouldn't have been shot where my officers didn't. And so they had a much better understanding of some of the stresses that happen in a real true environment. And I think it changed their focus a little bit. See, and that's one of the things. And at the National Police Association, we work hard to work with the media, inform the media about policing and what police officers are dealing with. And I know that's one of the things that, that you've done multiple times as a chief is you actually work with the media, you try to help inform them, reach out to them because they're doing a job too. Absolutely, they have a job to do. And what we want them to be able to do it is with the most uh, effective facts that they can actually provide. And if they understand where we're coming from, I think that they can do better reporting. Now, what about uh, when we talk about your citizens, um, what are you, what's your thoughts on getting people involved in a citizen police academy at their local agency? I think that's extremely important. In fact, one of the things that uh, this COVID did to us, we had to cancel our academy this year. We have people 
really vying to get into it. And what it does is it shows them uh, exactly what we do and why we do it. It's, it's basically an understanding. The more people we could get to go through those things, and I'd like to see people that are critical of us. And in fact, in that Midwestern capital city, we had a person that was extremely critical of the police department. And I invited, in fact, I almost insisted that person come through our Citizen Police Academy, and then we would discuss the, the issues afterwards. And while it didn't completely change her thoughts, it really made it much more where we could communicate better together. Now, Chief, you have really enjoyed in your in your post now in Yankton, South Dakota, you have enjoyed some excellent support and you have excellent relationships with your community. But but that didn't just come overnight, did it? No, in fact, one of the things that the community was kind of separated and I've been there just that three years now. I started uh, helping a friend out who was the city manager there. And I've been there three years now trying to help uh, build and, and uh, mentor the people there and build a succession plan for the agency. One of the things that we did is we made sure that they understood that they have to be out in that community. I was involved in every kind of community event that goes on and assisted my officers are, are visible at those events. They walk by, they communicate with people. Because the other thing is if you just do answering calls, the problem you have is you only see people when they're in a crisis. This way they see us and learn to view us as human beings that are part of the community that they service in those normal uh, events. And that makes a huge difference. You know, the event that occurred uh, for us this last summer, right in the midst of all the defunding police, we had a group of businessmen put together a, uh, uh, a uh, parking lot party for us, raising funds from the community where we had over 1,200 people attend and provide funding for us to buy new equipment stuff. And they sold t-shirts that said stronger together. It was I a really, one. really neat event. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> and that was, and I wear that shirt all the time and it's got the, the back the blue stuff on it and the hashtag stronger together. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when I wear that t-shirt, people stop me and they say, where did you get that? What was that? Everybody wants to know where that came from. And I think that was such a brilliant idea because who doesn't want to have a parking lot party with their local cops, right? Yeah, and the, the good thing is, is that I it was in the middle of the summer and I was in a dunking booth and uh, they spent a lot of money to put me in the water. <laughs> See, and it's things like that where you humanize the badge and, and you let people know that, hey, we are people, uh, we're humans, we have families, but we care about this community, we care about our citizens, and uh, I think it's genius. How, what recommendations do you have for people who are listening to this and, and might think, you know, I wanna get something started like that in my own police agency or in my own community. How do they approach their police chief or their sheriff to start something like a, a stronger together parking lot party? All they have to do is may usually make a phone call. And, and most of the times, and, and most agencies I've been in, it's I returned every call to every citizen without uh, delay whenever I had the message. And I think that's pretty much the case across the board. Tell them what they wanna do and why and to create that uh, communication environment that's a positive rather than a negative event. You know, the other thing that I really wanna touch on is that uh, I'd like to say one thing, one of the things I've seen that's occurred over the past few years, and it's getting worse as time goes on, is there's a lot of chiefs that are now, I call it almost pandering to the politicians because they actually don't support their people. When an event occurs, they don't 
do a full investigation before they, they start to vilify some of the officers involved. I think we owe it to the officers that are out there to make darn sure that we do a full and thorough investigation and we support them when they're right. You know, we don't actually throw them to the wolves just to make the public happy. We communicate with the public of why, and when we make a mistake then too, and I learned this uh, from uh, the FBI National Academy when I was there, there was a guy that was doing uh, community relations stuff there talked about, you know, you're gonna make mistakes in your career. And, you know, he said, when you F up, fess up and move forward, you know, fix it and move forward. So the three Fs and move forward, you know, <laughs> and he said, you know, the people will really respect that because you're not making excuses for your mistakes. You say, okay, we made a mistake. We didn't do it with uh, uh, malice of forethought. We did it because it was a mistake and we fixed it. And now we're going forward and we're going to make it better. Well, and I think people need to understand that police officers who feel supported by their administration when they make the right decisions, which is most of the time, those cops are much more likely to go out and be proactive in the way that they protect their communities, aren't they? And that's something we're lacking is proactive policing in a lot of our larger urban areas. Yeah, and one of the things that happens is when you don't feel that support or they don't feel like they're going to be supported by either the, the administration and the police department, or the, the community, the elected officials, or the community themselves, they'll hunker down and they'll just do the bare minimum. And that's also part of the problem with some of the crime rate rising. I think we see some of that in the larger communities. Chief John Harris, you've given our viewers so much to, to think about today. And I am so grateful that you spent time with us. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. 1. Call 911 and give the officer's exact location. 2. Ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. 3. If the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.